I, I don't know if God just doesn't want us to look at the book of Numbers. But actually, I think it's the opposite, because what keeps happening is we're actually living the book of Numbers. And actually, the main point of this book was God preparing people. He wanted to prepare the Israelites to enter the promised land. So we're in this series about the journey of becoming his. You and I are both on a journey of becoming God's. Becoming means we begin to look more like him. We begin to act more like him. We, we, as Mark was even challenging us, we, we say that everything we have is his. Becoming his from bondage to freedom. Each one of us is coming from a place of bondage, which is us bound by our own selves, our own attitudes, our own perceptions, our own things. And there's freedom coming. Because there's freedom in Jesus. And so in, in the book of Numbers, it's kind of divided into five, five, uh, five main parts. And in the first part, they're, they're at a location. The second part is they're traveling. Third part, they're at another location. Fourth part, they're traveling again. And fifth part, they're at another location. Through this book. So we have the end of Genesis where God calls the family of God and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he calls them. They, they, they go into um, 400 years of captivity in, in Egypt. And we see then in the book of Exodus where Moses comes along and God wants to, again, take his family because he's called them. He wants to be in their presence because he wants them now to go into all the world and reveal who he is to other nations. So he he calls them out miraculously out of Egypt and he rescues them from bondage to freedom. And they begin this journey of becoming his. But like you and I, they they struggle with the journey. They struggle with the process. They they kind of push against it when it when it doesn't feel comfortable. So then through it, God creates these these things and ways for them to now enter his presence, ways for them to come with a repentant heart, ways for them to prepare themselves. And so we see that in in, in Exodus, we we really saw that in Leviticus, all that took place there. What we see in Numbers is he's now preparing them, now that he's kind of laid out all those things. He made a covenant with them, which was the the Ten Commandments, and and we have the the ordaining of the priests and and the building um, of the tabernacle, and and all of that stuff has been created. So now in Numbers, he's he's preparing them to now go and enter the promised land. The plan is they're about to enter it. Now, if you've read it before, you know that they don't end up entering it right there, but that's because of a choice that they make. So they're still at Sinai. They're getting ready to leave there. He takes a census. He counts. He tells them to count all the men that can fight. So if they're too young or if they're too old, and uh, sorry, ladies, if you're a lady, you don't count. Everybody say boo. <laughs> exactly. We just got that out of our system. So they they count them, they have a little over 600,000 fighting men. Based off of that, and they they look at it and they they estimate that it's a little over 2 million people total. Have you ever thought of taking 2 million people camping? I know I mention it, but to me it's the most crazy thing. To put this into perspective, the Portland-Vancouver metro area... 
making up of Clark County, Multnomah County, Washington County, and Clackamas County is just over 2.3 million. So Moses was leading Clark County, Multnomah County, Washington County, and Clackamas County. No wonder they were all fighting. I mean, like, <laughs> he was taking all four counties on a trip and trying to get them to focus on one thing. So here they, they, they go, and, and um, he organizes them. Kind of, let's say he, he, he wants each county to be at a certain thing. What does he want at the very middle? wants the tabernacle. Now, that wasn't just for convenience because he wanted it to be really quick and he would hate to have one group that was far off and it's a farther walk for them to get there. It's symbolic. He wants to be at the center. He wants it where everything else is built around where he's at. He also gives them an instruction that they're not to go until the cloud moves, his presence moves, and when his presence begins to move... They take the Ark of the Covenant, which is in the tabernacle, which represents the presence of God, and that is supposed to go in front of them. Now, we're not going to do a show of hands, but you know who you are, and I think it's all of us. Who here is like me, and you periodically begin to see the cloud move, and you're like, oh, God, you're on the move. Okay, and you get out, and you start running in front of God. Anybody ever done that like me? But he's saying, no, I want to be at the center of every, of, of, of when you are stationary, when you are here, I want to be at the center of your life. But when I move, I want you to follow me and go where I go, because I'm going to take you somewhere. He's now done this whole thing of building trust with them and rescuing them from, uh, uh, from Egypt Part in the Red Sea, water coming out of things that water shouldn't come out of, food appearing in ways that it's never appeared before. I mean, just one miraculous thing after another. But then they begin to travel. Cloud moves. They begin to follow it. They travel for several days, and they start complaining. They kind of start doing the, are we there yet? I'm hungry. Can we stop at a restroom? I know we just filled up with gas five minutes ago, but I really need to go. I didn't think I needed to go when we were there, but I now really need to go. They start complaining about the trip. But this time the complaining turns a little bit, and now you have Aaron and Miriam who are overseeing some of the most powerful elements of the Israelites. They start um, not just complaining about Moses, but they actually start saying, you know, he's not... They're actually trying to turn away from him. And someone else should be in charge. And it becomes more like a coup, like a military coup. They want to they take over. They, it's, or in voting terms, it's a mutiny. They're, they're trying to go that way, and, and God comes and corrects them. Then they end up in Paran. And I want to read out of Numbers chapter 13. Verse 1, it says, The Lord now said to Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving the Israelites. So remember, they've, they've now had all this stuff take place. They're now preparing to enter the promised land. They're going from bondage to freedom. Ladies and gentlemen, freedom is right around the corner. 
This is like a brand new movie coming out, and this is the last preview you have to sit through. The popcorn's popped in front of your face. The, the bubbles have come out of the Coke thing in the previews. I mean, it is time for this thing to start, and they're ready. And, 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 he's, and God's saying, Moses, go find one leader, leader, so not just one person, a leader from each family, each of the tribes. Send out one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did exactly as the Lord commanded. So he gets them together, and then here are his instructions. This is in verse 17. Struggling to find it here. Here we go. Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there. So they're supposed to see. They are supposed to observe it. And they're supposed to find out some facts. They're supposed to look for some things and just come back and report. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak. Few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. So he sends them out. Then in chapter 13, verse 25... After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. That sounds really good, but when I visualize a land flowing with milk and honey, it seems a little weird to just have milk and honey everywhere. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. So showing it to them. Here in verse 28 starts with the word, but. Have you ever gone to talk to someone and you give them the sandwich approach? You tell them something really nice? Jacob, I love your sweater. But. Those shoes. But. So they say, this is amazing. But. The people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Enoch. The Amalekites live in the Negev and the Hittites, Jebusites and Amorites and all the ites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb cried out to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. What was God's intention? That they would take the land? He just wanted them to see what was going on, but it was his intention to take them from bondage to freedom. Had he shown himself trustworthy to them? Had he shown that he can overcome whatever impossible situation they find themselves in. In the middle of the desert where nothing is growing, he brings water, he brings food, he brings shade, he brings whatever they need, he's brought it to them. 
Caleb's seen it, but he's saying, we can do this. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report among the land and among all the Israelites. This is what they said. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even uh, saw giants. They were the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought. So here they go. They not only have their negative report, but as faith is shared, what do they do? They go and they begin to gossip about it. They begin to spread it. There's the mutiny. There's the coup. They go and they, and they begin to, to talk about it and spread the bad report. You know, today, these are, again, these are leaders, These were supposed to be leaders. And today, even in our lives, we have Christian leaders. People that you would maybe respect. Maybe have written some great books. Maybe have a powerful ministry. They might even walk with a powerful anointing where God uses them in different ways. But their perspective gets off. Because what they begin, and some of us are listening a little too much to them. Because our attention goes not to God, but our attention goes to the giants. Here's the deal. God was at work. He he wanted to do something. He wanted to take them from bondage to freedom just as he does with you and I. But how many times do we get distracted by the giants? It's sad to me because many times when what I hear more talked about isn't what God is up to right now in our city. But it's how can God do anything good in our city based off of this? I don't know what you feel about the way that, the, the, you know, whether you're super happy with the way you voted and, and what's turning out or whether you, you feel like you're depressed about it. What I want to say is regardless, God is on the throne. What I want to say is that those, those might appear to be giants, but even if they are, God is still on the throne. And he is still making a way for you and I. What was important about what we just went through in praise, in the way Mark walked us through that, it was a little more mellow. And I know some of you, you want, you know, you want a little more rhythm, you want a little more beat, and we, let's do this. But you know, there is a time to be reverent in the presence of God. There is a time to celebrate, but there is also a time to be reverent in the presence of God. We wanted to walk through that because what was it, thinking of repentance, what was it that the Israelites did wrong? Jesus wasn't at the, God wasn't at the center. He was in the tent, in the way that they were set up, but he wasn't at the center of them. They weren't dwelling with him in his presence because when you and I dwell with him, we see, we begin to see what he sees. But instead, what they saw was in the natural. And it seemed impossible then for them to fulfill what he wanted them to fulfill. That might happen with whatever it is that God showed you and highlighted in your life here a couple minutes ago, and you might think it is too big. I can't overcome it. It is a giant in my life. It's been ingrained in me since my birth. It has been there since that thing took place when I was a child. 
It, it, it's been there since, it, I mean, it has such a grip on me, there's no way. Who are we looking at? Are we looking at the giant or are we looking at God? And I believe God wants to take us somewhere. And we have a choice, just like the Israelites did in the book of Numbers. You and I have a choice today to make. Do we believe that he wants to take us from bondage to freedom? Do we believe that he's called us to be his? Not so we can just feel special, but because we acknowledge that the reason he wants to is because he wants to reveal himself to others through you and I. Do we believe that he wants to dwell with us? And that he wants us to be set apart? And if so, we have to come as he asks us to come. And come before his presence to make him the center of our life. And that we don't move until he moves. And that even though we see giants, even though we see things that freak us out, that we choose to believe that if he is, many times the reason those things freak us out is because you're we're walking in front of the cloud. It would be scary because we got out in front of him. Or we stayed and he moved on. And he said, my presence is going here. I want you to come with me. But we stayed there. So now the giants are freaky. But I think there's something where we got to look at what are we looking at. This is one of the things over the last, I mean, it's always been there since people were breathing. Which has been a decent, a long time. But this thing where especially as Christians, we begin to look at the giants and we see people that are leaders and because they're telling us to look at this, look what's going on here, look who's president, look who was president, look at what this person did, look what this person did, look what they're teaching in schools and what we look at all these different things. You know what? God is still good. I've told you that our kids go to public school. I've had people in the last couple years, like, are you still going to put your kid in there? Yeah, because God is still on the throne. Because my God's bigger than anything someone wants to say. If I'm involved in my children's life the way a parent should be involved in their kid's life, I'm not scared of it. Can they make whatever decision they want to make? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, I believe that God is on the throne. He is bigger than the giants. And I'm passionate about this because I do want to see revival. I want to see where people can come in here and taste and see that the Lord is good. I want to see not so that our name is is in some, so that we get famous. But because I want you and I want me and I want those that God brings into our life to experience his goodness. To experience his healing. To experience his love. To experience his forgiveness. To experience his, his, his healing. But I believe to do that, we have to follow what he told us to do in the Bible. And exactly what he told the Israelites to do. And if that is our freedom, we have to go in faith. Even though there might be giants in the land, we have to believe that he is bigger than those things. Does that make sense? I'm not supposed to ask rhetorical questions like that, so I apologize. (laughs) I know it makes sense. They travel a little more. 
even the Levites, things start happening just like they happen in our lives today. Even the Levites turn on Aaron. They're saying he shouldn't be our leader. God has to prove, no, this is who I've called. So it's no longer just complaining and saying, to trip. I'm uncomfortable. It is now attacking different people. We see that in our society. We see that in our own lives. But God is constantly trying to draw each one of us back. Will you just come up? And I don't know what to tell you to do, and I don't know what you should do. So as you walk up, just ask God. <clears throat> and I hope you listen. Um, guys, I don't know what God's up to. But I don't believe that we're just in this series because it was a neat couple books to look at or because there are a couple books that get ignored or like Darcy joked about when, when she was sharing how, you know, how many of us have started a reading plan and it died in the book of Leviticus. And Tamar mentioned that if you happen to make it through the book of Leviticus, then it's going to definitely die in the book of Numbers. But I believe that God is preparing us for something. Because I don't think he just wants us to have, you know, catchy preaching. Obviously, I'm up here. It's not just about can you, can you quote whoever's saying something. It's not just about can we come and get all the goosebumps and feel it and, and we sing our favorite songs. He is asking that we treat him as holy. He is asking that we don't come into his presence casually. He is asking that we prepare our hearts. He's asking as the, the word that Doran shared came that we repent, that we don't hold on to things. He's asking that we keep him at the center of our life. He's asking that we don't move until he moves, but when he moves, that we move, that we follow him. He's asking that we don't just hold on to it for ourselves, but we realize that he wants to work through us. Because he wants to reveal to your coworkers, your classmates, your neighbors, your family members, the person who abused you, the person who stole from you, the person who lied about you, everyone, he wants to reveal his love to them through you. And I believe as we get there, as we come and we really take it to heart what we're reading in the word, we allow it to come to life in us. We allow the Israelites' journey to be an example to you and I. I believe we will see God do amazing things. But we also got to check our perspective. Who are we listening to? Do we go to the word or do we go to news? Do we go to worship or do we go to social media? Do we testify of what God is doing in and through us? Or do we complain about our surroundings? Do we see God in the midst of a broken system? Or do we see a broken system overcoming God? What's our perspective? Here's the scary thing. Their perspective was off, so what happened? They were right there, guys. They were right there. Just one last little walk through the desert. They were right there. Instead, another 40 years to 
So like a whole generation died off. They had to wait again for 40 years before they could enter in because that generation still hadn't gotten the mindset. God's serious about it. He has amazing things for you and I, but he's also serious about how you and I get there. It's not a joke. It's not something for us to take casually if we believe it. We got to go here in a minute. Got something? He spoke to you? Amen. Jesus. I would just say, just right where you are, you can stay sitting down. But just ask God to reveal us. I don't want to speak a, a hard word, and I'm not trying, I feel like more like heavy in the way I'm presenting it, but it's because I'm serious that I believe he has something so amazing for us. And I think we hold on and justify our sin, and we choose to judge things off of what we see instead of parking the presence of God at the center of our life. And saying, Lord, I want, I want you right here in everything that I do. And help me to not see in the natural, but to see in the spiritual and go where you're taking me. So as Mark does whatever he's going to do, let's just bring ourselves before God. Let him speak to you. My prayer is that we answer him and what he's asking us to do.